Welcome to Creative Places and Faces, the podcast that explores how places can affect our creativity and lives. Irish author Jackie DeBurka interviews artists, authors, and all sorts of creatives from around the world. Travel virtually and explore the world creatively. Today's guest is Erin Zarofsky, the creator of the Zarofsky Corporation in Chicago's booming West Loop. This is a design-driven production company whose artists, directors, producers and storytellers can unlock the magic of your project. Under Erin's leadership, Zarofsky is renowned for creating gorgeous, innovative main title sequences for blockbuster movies and television series, including Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, Animal Kingdom and Shameless Community and many, many others. Recognised internationally for brilliant design-driven production that is limited only by imagination, Erin and her company have forged long-standing relationships with proven leaders of the advertising and entertainment industries. Erin, I'm delighted, first of all, to welcome you as the first guest from America. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I look Brilliant. forward to so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, just to place the timing of the recording purely, we're not going to talk about the pandemic hardly at all, but purely for historical reasons that we're recording this on the 15th of January, obviously in the midst of a third lockdown in many, many countries. So we're going to avoid talking about that because that's not the subject matter. <laughs> but Erin, I can't resist hopping in with one of my own favourite quotes, which is Anita Desai, wherever you go becomes a part of you somehow. How do you feel about this concept? I think it's true. I mean, we are in large part where we've been and the experiences we've had and the places we've grown up and been to and you know, where we resonate in the world really matters. So I totally agree. Okay, fantastic. Now, um, you are currently based in Chicago, obviously. Which places are important to you and your creativity and why, Erin? Well, I really, I fell in love with Chicago. I'm not from Chicago. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of snuck up on me. I, I wound up here specifically for a job and I thought, well, while I'm here, I'll take advantage of it. But I fully expected to go back to New York or go to the West Coast, um, like San Francisco or L.A. or something, because mm -hmm. that's historically where the work has been for somebody that does what I do. And, uh, you know, after I left my job and went back to New York, I really realized I missed Chicago and that I really kind of resonated there. Um it's still a big city. It still has all like the culture and the museums and the people and the places and the food scene and all the things, but the mm -hmm. lifestyle and the tone of the people um, and the ability to kind of feel like you're a part of a community was just different. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. That's so I, yeah, I really resonated here and uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> and what other places played important parts in your life up until this current day, if you like. Yeah. Well, I grew up on Long Island in a town called Levittown. Um, if anybody is a fan of Billy Joel, that's what he <laughs> sings about all the time. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's interesting because it's so funny. I was talking to my aunt and 
she, I never really felt like I fit in there. I always felt like a little bit of a fish out of water, although I couldn't articulate that until I was gone. I was obviously a kid. Um, and she said, you know, it's like you walked across the stage to get your diploma and kept walking (laughs) (laughs) and just kept going. And I just left. I left. I went to school in upstate New York and that's where I really like blossomed into a person. Um, Mm -hmm. I really, the, the style of person in Long Island, it's oddly conservative, even though it's in New York, it's a, it's a really interesting, strange place. And I just didn't work there. And so when I left, I really came out of my shell. But also when we were, when I was a kid, my parents bought this little place in the Poconos, which is the mountains of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. They're very, they're unimpressive mountains as far as mountains go, but it, it was out in the country. It was fresh air. And I just remember waking up really early and going for long walks to look for the animal tracks. And I just, it was the only time I was like ever alone. And I really, really loved and enjoyed that. So, yeah. Hmm, That's interesting. Okay. yeah. And, and tell me something. Let's go back to, to Long Island. So when, let, let's also uh, talk about when exactly were you born, Erin? So I was born in 1977, just mm-hmm. in okay. Lebanon. Yeah. <laughs> At Winthrop University Hospital. <laughs> so yeah, I was born in, in December of 77. I came out right after Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. That, so, uh, considering what you do, that's quite funny, isn't it? It's very funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's, you know, it was, I think an interesting time in history, but yeah, I got to grow up through the eighties and nineties and, you know, kind of enter my career at the beginning of the, the two thousands. And considering what I chose to do, it was really like kind of the beginning of, of the medium. So, Mm -hmm. of, of, of design and production and animation all kind of fusing together in a desktop environment and not like in an in-camera or optical sense. So Mm -hmm. the technology just became more, more relevant for, for artists, easier entry into the field, I think, even though it was still nobody knew about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and tell me, you made it quite clear, Erin, obviously Long Island, it didn't seem to fit you. You don't feel it fitted you. Do you have any sort of interesting childhood memories about it, either negative or positive? You know, I just, I feel more what's interesting about it is my lack of memories. Mm-hmm. You know? Interesting, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, of course, remember, by and large, my childhood, but I mean, I grew up in one house on the same street, you know, my parents and my brother. Um, and, and until I went away to college, like I, everything was very much the same. So, Mm. um, yeah, I mean, I definitely have, I remember being really young. So like first, second grade and having a neighbor, Gregory, who we used to go play. There were these kind of giant sand piles. It's actually kind of a weird story, but like they would put sand on the road when it would snow. And over the summer, they keep these giant piles of sand, not far from my house. And we would go digging them like all day. And, and, you know, like 
it's just interesting because I remember our little adventures together very, very vividly. But when he moved away, it just kind of became very the same. And I was very um, attached to my parents and father and all my little adventures kind of became about them on Mm. weekends and stuff. So, and my dad was very much a doer. He was never sitting still. He always had some elaborate hobby. (laughs) So, so we were, or fishing or we were shooting skeet or we were, you know, up in the country doing God knows what. It was always like this very interesting kind of contrast between just being in such an uber suburban environment. Right. Yeah. And, and then being out in the middle of nowhere, you know? So for, for people like myself, Aaron, of course I know of Long Island, I have the idea, right, rightly or wrongly, is it kind of like what we would say in Dublin or Ireland, is it a bit of a snobby place or, or not? So Long Island is interesting because you have, (laughs) you have the part that's close to Manhattan, which is like, Brooklyn, which is part of Long Island, even though they would like to not think of that. Um, But you have like Brooklyn and Queens, which I could, you know, they're also boroughs of the city. So they're really more a part of the city. Then you get into Nassau County, which is really the working class community, a very conservative working class community. Um, So that's why I mentioned Billy Joel. It is of that ilk. And then as you go more West, um, it gets more hoity-toity. That's when you get to like the Hamptons and Montauk and it gets a little bit out of control. But when I was a kid, like the Hamptons was a thing, but it wasn't like a thing like it is now. So yeah. So it, yeah. Cause I remember my, my, one of my aunts had that same aunt had a little house out there and we would go and it was so fun and amazing. But yeah. Yeah. But the the Poconos was like really a whole other thing because you'd have to drive through Manhattan. You'd have to drive through the chaos. And then all of a sudden you get to like the Delaware water gap and it gets quiet. You know, this this little kind of river and everything becomes peaceful after that. So it's really an interesting you kind of got to go through the lion's den to get out into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So tell me something about your childhood, Erin. Obviously, you have a huge creative talent that that goes without saying. But do you have memories like that that were different to other children, meaning that, of course, most children, at least of, of our generation, let's just say, it's normal to create and make, you know, before computers and tablets and all that were, were part of their lives. Do you remember that it was something special for you or did you feel like you were just doing it like, like the other kids? Oh no, it was definitely something special for me. Mm-hmm. I was, I was not only like a maker of things, but I was a finisher and an, and a, um, and a kid that liked to, um, create expertise in it. So, you know, like at summer camp when people would do the lanyards or the friendship bracelets, like I got so good at that. And I would create my own patterns and it, it really became like art, like regular crafts for people became art to me. And I went to summer camp and at summer camp, of course, my favorite part was arts and crafts. And it was a little bit of a hoity-toity summer camp because it was a little bit out on Long Island. And, (laughs) um, 
And they had, you know, uh, some photography stuff where, you know, you could go out and expose paper and then go in and, and um, develop it. And it was really such a fun experience. Sorry, I'm at the office, so the phone is going to ring occasionally. But um, so, yeah, it's just a really kind of fascinating thing. Like I, I just would dig in super hard and go really deep on all of the things, whether it was drawing or writing or anything like that. So, okay. So you were kind of bringing, you were bringing what was like for most, most of the other children, arts and crafts into a whole new level, really. Yeah. I just would get really fixated on it and, and, um, really dive in. And my parents were very encouraging. My mom would take me to the art supply store on the regular and, I would just walk through the aisles and be like, can I do airbrushing now? And she'd be like, okay, <laughs> let's get airbrushing stuff now. And I'd sit and I'd start working with it. I just love the different materials and all the things. And then on the other side, my dad was um, in information technology. He was very um, big. He actually became pretty big in, on that side. He was a chief information officer of a pretty large brokerage firm. And so it was interesting. I always had a Mac. I asked for a Mac when I was a little, little girl, like a 2GS, one of the original ones. And so I was one of the few girls that was like incredibly computer literate, you know? I guess that makes a huge difference. So what age, what age would you have been there and when you got your Mac? I mean, I was very early grade school because I remember in third grade, we had this tiny little computer lab and people were learning how to type. And I was like, how could you not know how to type? <laughs> okay. But like I mean computers were expensive. Nobody had computers. That was like for data entry, you know. So mm -hmm. I I literally don't remember ever not having a computer. And I was born in 1977. So yeah, and I, I had my own computer. My brother had his computer. He always had an IBM or a PC of sorts and I always had a Mac. Um wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's well that's an amazing, it's an amazing grounding, you know, because it's obviously so deep in your subconscious that you had a Mac from such a, such a young age, you know? Yeah. I think people really take for granted now, um, the access to technology and the, how literate they are going into school and, and all of that. And I, I also think people also don't understand how really women, were not encouraged to use computers until very recently. It was very much considered like, oh, that's a guy's toy. You know, that was a guy's thing. And so it really, for me, was like a, I was definitely like an anomaly in that way. I was interested in it and I was unafraid of it. And mm -hmm. um, and when you kind of segregate women from it, they, they develop a fear around it. Like, I don't even know if they realize it or if anybody would realize it, but if you if it if you were kind of somehow told by society or wh whoever like oh no like the boys do that like that's going to become part of who you are you know absolutely i i entirely agree i mean i think i think of course it's totally different days now but yes i remember you know at that on, on those much earlier times Aaron, yeah. that it was almost like yeah it's technology it's it's it is for the boys right. yeah. and maybe a woman a girl or a woman, you know, as soon as she does something wrong to the computer, can almost explode, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I often think, like, even with my dad, like, 
I don't necessarily, it, I, I think it's interesting. Like my brother had the PC and I had the Mac. There was, I, I don't specifically remember asking for a Mac, but I think part of him maybe gave it to me because it was the easier computer. <laughs> it could, it could be true. Yeah, it could be true. I don't know. I certainly not going to make a judgment about your dad. But, no, but, no, no, but I just yeah. think it's fascinating. You know, I think it's, yeah, yeah. In, in, in the true honesty of thinking back, it, it could have been, it could have been that, but if, if you really like look back at the difference between me and my brother, I am definitely the brighter bulb. <laughs> <laughs> and so, your brother, your brother is younger or older than you are? He's, he's two years older, but uh -huh. okay. Yeah. So, and he didn't, he didn't go down a similar route to, to, to yourself then, no? No, no. He's, uh, yeah, he's not like me in a all the ways, <laughs> but okay. yeah, he's, he's a non-creative and yeah, in a way, a lot simpler kind of life, but yeah. yeah. But I mean, that happens in so many families that, you of know, course. there's yeah. such, there's such a contrast between, you know, between the siblings. Um, now you went, you mentioned uh, that you went to the Parsons School of Design. What age yeah. were you at that stage and what, and why was that important? Talk to talk to Erin because I don't know. Of course, I've Googled it, but yeah. I don't know how well known it is. You know, being obviously being in Europe, I'm, I'm not sure about those things. Okay, so Parsons, it's also called the New School. They um they're in New York and they're really a very 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 world renowned um, art mm -hmm. school, uh, especially for fashion. Um, and I've never really been interested in fashion, but um, I know they're an amazing design school. And when I was on Long Island, I applied to get into a summer program there. Um, that mm -hmm. would have been my junior to senior year of high school. And I got in and I spent my summer uh, taking the train into Manhattan and doing courses and and it was awesome because, you know, not all, I would take my train, the train in with my father and he would go into work very early. And I just kind of keep going uptown. He would get off downtown by the bull, just like the movies on Wall <laughs> Street. And um, I would go uptown um, and go to Parsons or Midtown, really. Um, and I just met. Again, it was just, I think as I reflect, as we talk about all these things, like anytime I wasn't on Long Island in that sameness, I was just, my eyes were opened. You know, I met all these amazing people, the professors, the other students were from all around the world. And it, it just, I think at that point, it kind of clicked to me, like I didn't have to be some kind of I could be artistic and have that be a career, you know, mm -hmm. and have it not rely on a technology um, that it can be a, a talent that makes my way in the world, you know, and not a specific, like I'm an accountant. I'm a, I do this. I can kind of say I have this ability and I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm going to follow it. Because yeah, other absolutely. people have done that. Like, I, I definitely come from a non-creative family, or at least non-creative in that that's none of them are, like, people that are illustrators or photographers making money on their talent. It was more technical for them. 
what about your mum? You said she, you said Erin that your mum was very encouraging. Was that her just being a good mum, or was there any sort of little hobbies that she might have had herself? She was just being a good mom. I think mm-hmm. she. I don't think she really ever found her passion. Um, I think, you know, as women, many women do, like they do the things they're they think they're supposed to do. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, she she did go to college and get her degree in history, and I think. Maybe she aspired to be a teacher, but I don't think she ever really liked children very much. So, <laughs> so I, I, yeah. So, so when she finished her degree, she came home and married my dad and started having kids. And mm-hmm. you know, once we were a little bit older, she took jobs as like teacher's assistants or things like that, where she was in, but not like all in, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I wonder if that, I think she would see me and, and think that I would say that she did not reach her potential or something like that. But I, I don't, I don't know what her potential is or was, or could be right. Like she, I don't really know what her true passions were where my father had so many passions and he would like me dive in real deep on a thing and then move on to another thing. Like a year later, um, she was very, I think content being content. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a funny concept in a way. Sometimes when I am going through like really that, uh, drive to create something and to do something, sometimes it can be quite extreme and, in yeah. a way, you don't, you'd almost envy people who are just content. <laughs> yeah, you know? who, who don't uh, necessarily aspire. And I don't mean that like in a bad way. I think to some degree, I feel sad that maybe she didn't find her passion in life. But I also don't feel like she reflects on her life and is sad about it. You know, I think she, um, you know, did the best she could with all the things in the world, you know, that in the time that she was born in the place she was born with all the circumstances, you know? So, yeah. I mean, for, for lots of, and it's not just women, you know, for lots of men having a family is, is, is like, it? it's filled, it's filled so much of that glass, if you like, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So it just depends, I think, on the person also. Um, you mentioned Pocahontas as a place that you went as a family on holidays. Can, can you describe it a bit more to me, Erin, please? Because it looks yeah. it looks lovely. Okay, so Pennsylvania, it's the east coast, east side of Pennsylvania, just north of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And they're called the Pocono Mountains. And but they're they're very sad mountains. They're not like the Alps or like Colorado or Whistler or anything like that. Um they're more like hills in that way, but it's just rolling forest. And I, you know, being from Long Island where it's strip malls on strip malls and track housings. And I grew up in Levittown, which is the first, I don't know if it is in the world, but certainly in the U S that's like where they built houses for people coming back from the big war. So Uh, it was the first, you know, uh, community kind of created. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so that I, I lived the most suburban in air quotes life 
you could possibly imagine. So the Poconos right. was just such a stark contrast. It was dirt roads and, you know, you'd have to drive for 20 minutes or 30 minutes just to go to the grocery store. <laughs> mm. And the grocery store, there was one and everybody knew everybody, you know, so. So like a know, whole different world, really, no? Really, it was very charming and, you know, now I understand the people to be a little even more conservative in another kind of interesting way where, <laughs> um, but, because uh, you can't ignore the fact that the world is how it is now, but the, they also were very kind of friendly towards each other and to a minimal number of outsiders, you know, they, okay. yeah. they, they really, everybody knew everybody. Like you'd go to the local diner and there was one and this one person was there every time and she knew your order. And it just (laughs) wasn't like that. It just wasn't like that. And they take time and sit with you and talk with you. And there wasn't this sense of urgency or, and there was a certain thing about Long Island. I'm going to sound like I'm really shit talking it, but there, (laughs) there, the, the type of person that thrives on Long Island seems like it comes from a very selfish place. There's just a uh-huh. lot of people, a lot of people think a lot about themselves and yeah, it's just like the point of view is just so it's in a way so stark and a little bit sad. There really isn't this amazing feeling of community where I was from. And so when I would go to these places, when we would go to the Poconos and like the same woman knew us and the grocery store was Bill's grocery store and Bill also owned the true value and you would see Bill every once in a while. (laughs) It was like a whole, a whole different thing. And it was so lovely, you know? Yeah, it is. We, we, we have a lot of, cause I'm, I'm inland in the countryside in Spain and we have, we have a lot of that sort of feeling still in many of the villages and small towns here. And it is lovely. It's completely human, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which is lovely. And um, why do you think Long Island, uh, attracts or brings out that sort of selfish streak in people? I don't know. I think every place has their, their vibe and their thing. And I'm not saying that there aren't good people there and that, but I think it's just congested and um, that congestion creates like apathy and Mm -hmm. a selfishness, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty vain place as well. There's like a lot of nail salons and it's just, the vibe is a little bit, it's just, it's just a little bit self-centered. It, it's very, very, very hard to describe. And that's why going to Rochester to school, which is upstate New York, which is very granola, very rooted in an arts community was so different for me too. Okay. But, so you, you went to the Ro- Rochester Institute of Technology, Aaron, didn't you? Yeah. Yep. So talk, and talk, talk about that. That must've been a big contrast. It was giant. It was, I think very similar to the Poconos let a little, a lot larger. It's still a real mm-hmm. city. The Poconos is definitely <laughs> not a real city. Um, there's, there's Granton or something like that, but like it's, uh, it, but it was in Rochester and Rochester is where Kodak was founded. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
So even like industry there is was rooted in arts, in science, and in creativity. And that permeated the community, you know. Um, and the school I went to was not only an art school, but a photography school. And there was this interesting balance of creativity and technology. And mm-hmm. that was a real sweet spot for me because I wasn't afraid of the technology. And I was very thoughtful about craftsmanship and doing the work. And so that's where it really all came together for me. Okay. Okay. And that, that sounds like a great environment, obviously, for you to have studied. Um, okay. And the, the place itself, I mean, did you, did you live there at that stage or you were commuting there? Oh, no, I live there. So Rochester is up near, it's much closer to Toronto. <laughs> than oh, wow. To, okay. Yeah, it's all the way, it's like seven hour, eight hour drive from Wow. No, from you, New cer- York you, City. you certainly were. So I went away. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. I, I left. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fine. And why did you choose Rochester out of interest, Erin? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I didn't, maybe I, did, I don't remember, but I, I ultimately came down between there and Carnegie Mellon. And mm-hmm. I still had this thing, and I was accepted at both places. And and Carnegie Mellon was in Pittsburgh, which is the other side of Pennsylvania. And I, I think I just liked Rochester better. I think that also it was my father did really well at that point. I knew I wasn't going to get any scholarships. I probably got a couple little scholarships, but um, nothing substantial. And I remember tuition, like room and board, my first year of college, RIT was going to cost like $26,000 a year. And uh-huh. Carnegie Mellon was going to cost like $36,000 a year. And like yeah. the programs were the same. And yeah. I would—I just was like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> now it's, yeah, I'm sure like double, you know, I can't even imagine how much it costs now. I almost don't want to know. But um, I just remember thinking like, oh, well, that's, that's a lot of money. And I should go here because <laughs> it's not that big of a difference. And I really, I think I also just liked it better. Um, so you, you would have gone to the two places physically or you just made a choice? Yeah, know, no, I went, distance? no, no, uh-huh. no. I went and visited those, the two schools and checked them out. I, I think I just didn't really resonate in, in maybe in Pittsburgh. And I wanted to have a reason other than that. Cause it's very, mm-hmm. You know, as a and I was young, I was like 16, 17. I, I was a year ahead in school because my mom put me in school a year ahead, not because I was brilliant um, <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, so she was just like, she's ready for school. And she's like, get her out. She's starting school. <laughs> so I was always like the baby in my class. I was always the youngest bean. So I'd, I don't know that I had like the really the emotional intelligence to really understand why I was making the choice to go to Rochester. So I always said it's the money, but it was probably just, I liked it better. Mm-hmm. It was okay. calmer. Yeah. Yeah. And Describe Rochester as a place for those of us who don't know it. Um, how would I describe it? Well, it's a very little city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, Topographically, it's right on Lake um, Ontario. Mm-hmm. So we would get pummeled with snow 
because of all the lake effects. Now the way the the jet stream moved across uh, the lake, it would just pile snow up. So like you would wake up in the morning and there'd be like no joke, three or four feet of snow. So snow up to your knees or your thigh, and and nothing ever closed. <laughs> Everything was open all the time. Um, it. It's also like right near the Finger Lakes region. So you had all these very small glacier lakes that were Mm -hmm. really, really beautiful and pretty. Um, And lilacs were really big there. And they're this very fragrant um, bush that have these little Mm -hmm. beautiful flowers. And my grandmother always wore lilac scented stuff. So it reminded me of her. Um, Yeah, it's just... There were a lot of Vic- old Victorian houses. It felt like history, like Long Island being such a strip mall. Everything felt new, um, but already beat up kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything in Rochester, there was also like a bit of strip malls there too, but nowhere near the amount of Long Island. Like literally every inch of Long Island is covered by just a little strip mall that has all these a nail salon in it and a pizza place in it and a bagel shop in it and some kind of tax accountant in it. It's just like a really bizarre kind of setup. It kind of sounds like it lacks character and culture. That's the very easy, eloquent way to describe it. (laughs) Thank you for articulating that for me. Um, And Rochester really did. It had this like a really, and maybe that's also a difference between, you know, Pittsburgh and Rochester, Rochester, Pittsburgh is like a steel mining. Uh, it's a much more working physical working class kind of city, a beautiful city mm-hmm. and Carnegie Mellon by no means. It's like a stunning campus and beautiful um, college to attend. Uh, but Rochester, like just with the Victorian houses, there was a sense of like, I don't know, to your point, history and community. Yes, yeah, so important though, isn't it? So it's, yeah. it seems it seems to me because of as you said, you know, in our chat before we started recording. Of course, my questions are very, they're very uh, based on place, and it seems to me, Aaron, that you know, in Long Island, uh, the sort of the plastic approach to how it's been constructed divides people from like real nature from from feeling from feeling yeah. that depth of humanness. No, I yes. Absolutely. It's interesting. Like I don't really have many friendships or relationships um, that predate college that I've maintained, you know, except for, wasn't it Gregory? And obviously you didn't maintain. Yeah, we did not. Because he left. He left. You know, it's so interesting how parents kind of choose to handle situations, but like one day he was just gone. And I remember being devastated, you know, so it it's just fascinating because and then when I when I got to college, literally the first person I met there is my best friend to this day. <laughs> yeah, and it's because <laughs> you it's were like, in the right place at that time. No? Yeah, it's so cliche, but like I just you know sometimes you're born into the right place and sometimes you have to find it. Yes, you know? yeah. I think so. So, so were you both, where were you both of your parents from for you to be born and brought up in Long Island? They were both from Brooklyn, from different mm-hmm. parts of Brooklyn. So, um, and their families immigrated some 
they're the generation above them and some of the two generations above them. So their grandparents or parents, most, most of it was the grandparents. I think there was one parent that came, but from, they came from Poland, Russia, Mm -hmm. like (laughs) the border changed so much. It's kind of hard to know, but like that up there, Eastern European. So, uh, yeah. And they settled in Brooklyn in two different parts of Brooklyn, but, um, yeah, they eventually met each other. They met while my mom was in high school. So my dad kind of waited for her basically while after she went away from for college and then she came back and they got married and started a family and yeah. Oh, that's very romantic, isn't it? <laughs> it is actually. I never thought that. <laughs> it is. It really is. So do you feel just digressing a little bit from from sort of talking about the places and your career, do you feel any obvious connection with your, uh, I would have thought, we'll say Polish or Ru- Russian roots? You know, it's interesting. So, so if somebody were to ask me, what are you? Right. Just like, what are you? I would say I'm Jewish. I would say I'm Jewish, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, don't believe in God. I'm a total non-believer. <laughs> I, but I'm Jewish, right? I am of Jewish descent, I would say. And so I relate to it more culturally than religiously. Um, it's, and it's interesting. I wouldn't say I'm American. I wouldn't say I'm this or that, you know, I would say I'm Jewish and that's okay. how I that's feel like I walk through the world. Yeah. It yep. is an interesting thing. Cause it's, that's, that to me is my heritage. Yeah. I, yeah. I totally I totally get that, Aaron, because some of our good close friends here are a Dutch couple. Uh yeah. and she's a Jewess. And you know, it's like yeah, very much I, I very much get that because of our friends. I I do understand. Yeah. yeah. It's very cultural for me, the way, you know, somebody might would say they're Italian or the way that, you know, Portuguese or something like I'm Jewish, but I realize that doesn't pinpoint me on a map somewhere, you know? No, but I think that's part of being Jewish also, isn't it? Yeah, it it is where we go, we go when we have to go. (laughs) It's time to go. We go, we get up and leave, (laughs) start again and lean into education and all of that. Yeah, I've I've forgotten the name, but you can probably help me with this. Matilda, who's who's our our friend that I've just mentioned, she gave me this really nice. Um, well, I suppose you call it a talisman in, in a sense. It's 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 um, a Jewish thing that you put outside the front door at a very slight angle. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, uh, ah, it's it's a prayer over your house, so you put yeah, it in the yeah. doorway, and it'll come to me in a second. But doesn't yes, matter. I'm it, just it, curious because yeah, I have forgotten the name. Yeah. Mezuzah. It's a mezuzah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Everything yes. sounds like you're slurring when you speak Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're a little drunk. But yes, it's a mezuzah. There we okay. go. Okay. Thank you. Now now yeah. I can now I can I can remember. I can write it down after after our chat. So listen, let's go back to we kind of digressed. We went off on a bit of a wander, didn't we? Yeah, um, that's okay. <laughs> listen your first you, Rochester obviously suited you perfectly at that time you you what kind of training were you doing there just in terms of the course the coursework Erin yeah so my undergraduate was in in design in graphic design 
but boy, they had photography school and a school for American crafts. So, Mm -hmm. um, in addition to my design classes, I was taking photography classes and I mean, I took weaving classes and pottery classes. (laughs) I, I just, I was one of those kids. I didn't just take, you know, the number of credits I needed to graduate. I, you know, I, I took courses every day, every minute of every day. And I loved it. I love doing design, but I love working with my hands. And mm-hmm. I think that shows in my work today. It's very tactile. Um, Definitely. And, that's, and that's why like it goes from live action to in the computer to, oh, I'll make a book for that and I'll make the book and then we'll film the book and then <laughs> we'll add CG yeah. to the book. And, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I think that you know, that kind of mixed media aspect to my education definitely plays a big role in, in the kind of things I really gravitate to. Because you don't limit your approach at all. Yeah. Yeah. You started that in Rochester, you obviously took advantage on every single thing you possibly could, you know? Right. And then I was really young um, because I took those classes at Parsons. I also took some other classes at another university on weekends when I was on Long Island. Um, And I got to school and I had a lot of classes. I had a lot of credits. And because I took so many extra classes all the time, I wound up graduating a year early. So not only did I start school early, I then graduated early. So when I graduated, I was 19. And I was not ready for the world. No, I was, no that's tough, so, huh? Yeah. So I stayed to get my master's degree in computer graphics. And that's when I really kind of focused on the computer, computer aspect of it. Okay. Really kind uh-huh. of doing 3D and programming and getting, getting in really deep on that side of it. And that's when I fell in love with bringing my design to life in the computer, in animation. Um, and that's where I focused my career right after. Sure. Okay. So now your first significant job, Erin, was in Digital Kitchen. Let's let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I, again, I can't imagine being a parent to me because <laughs> I remember coming home and I had like a communication arts magazine yeah. and I uh, showed it to my parents and I was like, it, it must have featured some motion design companies and really – as far as I can remember, there were only three, uh, Digital Kitchen, Imaginary Forces, and Ewing Company. These three amazing. Also, Tomato. Tomato in the UK was amazing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I said to them, I'm going to work at one of these three places. And they probably looked at me like I was crazy. I just come home so entitled and confident and say, I'm going to work at one of these three places, of course. And um and I, I sent my portfolio. I work on my reel. I sent it to them, all three places. Mm-hmm. And within like days, I heard back from Digital Kitchen and they were like, well, would you be open to Chicago? Because we're opening an office there and we're staffing it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll go anywhere. I don't care. So I went out and we interviewed and I just accepted the job. And I just can't imagine my parents were so like, okay, that's great, hon, go get them. They didn't say it to me like, are you crazy? You can't just think you're going to get a job at one of these three places that, you know, um, they just supported me and said, go get them, tiger, you know, and 
it's really unbelievable that any of them reach back out to me or that the kismet of it, not to be continuing to show my Jewishness, but like <laughs> the, the timing of it was amazing. Like I just so happened to be ready and they just so happened to be opening an office. And that's mm-hmm. what, what I really talk to people about, you know, especially students, like the timing has to be right. Like, you might think you're perfect for this place, but maybe they're going through a dry spell. They're not going to be hiring at that time, you know? So yeah. you have to like diversify and get your stuff out there. But for me, it was like one of these three places and, and it happened. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's fascinating when you think about, imagine if some, one of the other, the other two remaining, uh, particularly the UK based one, imagine if they had got to you first, you know, what, right. <laughs> what would have happened you know yeah, of course you're, 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 you're still going to have arrived into the high level of success that you you know that you've obviously arrived at mm-hmm. but by a different route I suppose no I often wonder that I certainly probably wouldn't have landed in Chicago because how else would I have learned about it and fallen in love with it so yeah so I, how, how how did you feel about Chicago I mean I know you're back there now and yeah. obviously, you know, we, we know that that's where you're based and where you love. But in those early days, you know, you're working in Digital Kitchen. It's your first important job and you're in this brand new place. You know, how, how was the environment for you in those days? Yeah, you know, for me, I just didn't care about where I was. It was all about work. It was, mm-hmm. that was it. Like, I just lived to wake up and go to work and I go home and sleep and go back to work. It was really like my apartment was very unimpressive. Um, the neighborhood didn't really suit me. Um, but (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, I was very, very singularly focused. And over time while here, I just, um, all of a sudden I was just looking for a better neighborhood or a, a different neighborhood to kind of go to, or I was, you know, I I just kind of started to make it mine, you know, it's like, Oh, I can live in this neighborhood. It's a lot cuter. Oh, I can have a car if I live here or I can, you know, um, yeah, it just started to become more mine. You know, eventually I bought a little condo here mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it just started to become a home. And I would say until I left, I did not realize that that happened, you know? So describe that neighborhood, Aaron. Yeah. So I, when I started out, I, uh, started, I think as everybody does right by the lake next to Lake Michigan, on Lincoln, Lincoln park. And it's a charming neighborhood. Um, but it's, it's a little bit crowded. I mean, and there's really no street parking and it's a little bit harder to navigate if you, if you, like having a car and you want to have a little bit more independence besides public transportation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I eventually made my way West to a neighborhood called Logan square. And this was like before Logan, if you are familiar at all with everything that's going on in Chicago, Logan square was like, not a thing. (laughs) It was a very Latino community, a very like rooted in like the arts. There was like cool graffiti and, you know, just, dive restaurants and all that stuff. And I loved it. There was this new, um, it wasn't a new, it was in a, a refab building, but it was a 
a great complex and me and one of my friends, Kelly moved in and we just had the, like the most charming, cute little apartment. And it was very sensible and we had a good time there. And ironically, it's like literally a block away from my big, beautiful house that I have now. So, (laughs) so I found my spot, you know, I found literally, I must gravitate like into a very specific longitude and latitude on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So talk, talk a bit about your, your work in digital kitchen. You were there for a few years, Aaron, weren't you? I was there for six years, which Mm -hmm. in dog years is quite a long time. Yeah. Um, You've got 42 dog years there. Yeah. 42 dog years. And that's kind (laughs) of what it was like though, because I worked all the time. And, and what I would say is that I've heard the quote, it's mileage, not age. Like Mm -hmm. I put on the mileage there. I really learned the craft. I really focused. I really, um, arrived Mm -hmm. in myself, um, as an artist, as a, a person, um, And when I was ready to take on more leadership of not just being an artist, but taking on more client facing. And I was, I just wasn't being acknowledged for it. It was Mm -hmm. time for me to go. Cause I realized like, if you start somewhere really young, it's going to be very hard for them to see you in a new light. Absolutely. At some point you have to, you got to go. You know, you got to move on and go and change is good. And I thought, as most people do, like, especially if you're from New York, like, I'm going back to New York. I'm going to do mm-hmm. it. You know, I'm going to reconnect with my family and and um, and take on the Big Apple. And of course, of course. I mean, not only, you know, are you from New York, but of course, lots of creatives around the world would be like, yay, New York, the Big Apple. Yeah, so New York. You, yeah. you went back there around the age of 30, Aaron. How, how was it for yep. you? It was terrible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, there's, I like my job for the most part. It was a company called Superfad. I had access to great work and a lot of talented artists in addition to myself. And it was a, a Petri dish. Um, but I gave up this like amazing independent life and all of a sudden I'm making like this amazing six figure salary and I'm living like a college student again in order to live where I want to live. You know, I right. have to take on a roommate. I have to, like, I went from having my own place, a nice car, like ability to save all of that stuff, making like half as much money. And now I'm in Manhattan and it's just like, you you couldn't keep up with it. You know, it was really, um, frustrating. It was really frustrating. And the thing I was frustrated, I think most with, it's like the relationships I was making, I could tell weren't lifelong relationships, right? Like they, everybody. So the way it would go was be like, what are you doing tonight? And I'd be like, I don't know. You want to hang out? And they're like, okay, well, I'll text you later. And I'm like, no, no, no. Do you want to hang out? And they're like, well, we'll see where I wind up. And it's like, <laughs> what does okay. that mean? Like somebody would go somewhere and they'd follow the night, you know, like whatever coolest was happened, whoever coolest happened to be there, they followed the night. And I would start finding myself doing the same thing. Like, so instead of making plans with people, I would just like see where things would go. And 
that's not how I want to live my life. I want to live my life with intention. I want to make plans with people. I want to hang out with somebody. I want to go to dinner with somebody because I want to go to dinner with somebody, not because I wound up going to dinner with somebody. And it was always like with your friends, it was always like, okay, well, whoever's doing the coolest thing, that's what I'm going to jump on board with. And it was just like, nah, that's just not me. Like, Like I might be doing the coolest thing, but it's because I thought about it and figured it out and planned for it. And now I'm going to the opera or now I'm going to a Mets game or now I'm doing whatever. But like there, it, it's just a different, it was a very different kind of life and attitude. Um, mm. And I missed, even with my clients, I felt like I wasn't necessarily making lifelong friendships. Like at, in Chicago, I felt like I really, I made in Rochester, I felt like I was able to make relationships and develop friendships really easy um, in Chicago to a certain degree as well. Mm. And uh, in New York, yeah, it was, it was a different feeling for sure. So what about the concept then, Aaron, because of, of what you said, and I'm thinking also, you know, about my own life on, on a, in a sim, in a similar way. So what about the concept that, you know, the places that you make friends really easily are probably a good places to consider living. Oh, totally. Of course. The same, the same kind of people are gravitating towards, towards those places. I would agree. And what's so interesting is like, now we have our, you know, diversity issues in our industry. And I think people have to be more comfortable hiring people that don't reflect them back to them. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think we're, go- we're going through that as a society now because we have to be open to differences and all of that stuff. But I do think like when choosing a place to live, the people around you are that to what you say is exactly right. The people around you have to welcome you, you know, you for you, you know, not yeah. you for, you know, the fact that you have U.S. Open tickets. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. So, so with your time, how how long did you spend back in New York at that stage, and what kind of conclusions did you come to? Yeah, I mean, I was there for almost two years, maybe mm-hmm. a little more, maybe a little less. Um, and I just concluded I had to leave <laughs> okay. by any means. I just decided, like, I cannot live here, um, and I don't want to live here. And I started kind of trying to figure out my options. Now, Chicago, still at that time, even though Digital Kitchen was here, I knew I wasn't going back there. Um, that for me to go back to Chicago was tricky because it was still rooted in a very, um, this is the 2006, no, in 2007, 8, 9. And um, it was still very strong post house community, not a design company community. So you had post houses that were developing little design companies. And I felt very strongly that I wanted to work at a place that was design led, that people went there, not just because they had design where somebody could lay out some type and throw it on a commercial, but that they came to you because you had a point of view that was from a design perspective. And there really wasn't a place here that I would feel even though people said, yeah, 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 we do that. We'll do that. We'll build that for you. We'll, we'll make that. I just didn't believe it, you know, because <laughs> that's not what they were as a company. That's not what they were known for. And that's not the relationships that they had spent literally dozens of years cultivating was all about. And so 
actually the rep from Digital Kitchen um, had dropped Digital Kitchen or whatever. They parted ways. And I was talking to her again, a friendship that I'd made. Um, uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, I kind of want to come back. And she's like, well, I can get you some work. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, you could start a little thing. People remember you, you know, like, like, and, you know, at DK, I was doing Super Bowl commercials and, you know, Emmy nominated main title sequences. She's like, you're not going to be doing that right away, but I'll get you work. And, and so she did, she got, she got me like an easy Mac commercial from craft and, um, introduced me to some people out of Detroit that do a lot of car stuff. And I was able to um, pick up a couple of gigs, but I started my own company, but really mm-hmm. I didn't, I just called it my last name because I was like, it just needed to be paperwork so that I could. <laughs> but, you know. I'm laughing. I'm laughing, Erin, because I was, I was listening and watching obviously also uh, a drink with Zarovsky. Zar- 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 <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, of course, in my research up to our chat today, and uh, yes, of course, one of the questions was, yes, if you hadn't gone for that name out of pure convenience, what what would you've gone for? <laughs> I don't know, and I still don't know. Like yes, I've given it no thought because it it I was I was joking with my lawyer. It was like Sarovsky Corp. I'm like, oh, I could always call it an S Corp because that's what it is. And they were like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And it's just like, it's just really funny because choosing a name, like most artists and designers, they would like labor over that for years and years and years. And for me, I was just, it was just some paperwork that I had to file. And then I had my friend Magnus design a logo out of my name so I could put it on letterhead so I could have some like official documentation mm-hmm. and I could put together a website and and then it just like became the name because <laughs> because the studio became something it like grew into something and now what I'm focused on doing is growing it from my name into a global brand which is <laughs> not as easy as it sounds but I think time really time and consistency is what will ultimately make that happen so yeah I think so listen you know with it as a as a person who's no attachment whatsoever because of I'm not you or somebody who's part of your team or whatever, you know, you're just very lucky because your your surname, which is obviously your brand, yeah. uh, it works. It actually works. You couldn't I go by De Burka now, which is the Irish version of my name, but my surname in English is Burke. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but that's not gonna work, you know? Yep. I had Did an employee, know? Michael Burke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. A lot of Burks out there. <laughs> yes, but it's hardly it's hardly a surname. I think it's a, it's a great example because it's such a yeah. rubbish surname that you're just not going to go into a brand from there. You just can't. There's no yeah. way. It doesn't matter how talented you are. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so you're right. I'm lucky. I was able to like. There's nobody else really with that name, and it's so funny because uh, we uh, did a lot of work on Marvel, and there was this really old man in uh, in. California and he reached out to me. He was like in his nineties and uh-huh. he reached out to me. He's like, my, my grandkids had me watch Captain America, you know, and we were in the theater and I was watching it and I saw your last name in the credits. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> He's like, I've never known anybody else with my last name. Oh. And, and he reached out and we've, 
you know, corresponded for a few years and, you know, I've kept in touch with his children. But uh, I just think that that's like how much pride he has. <laughs> yeah. Seeing, like, oh my God. Somebody worked on this big, amazing movie and they exist in the world. And, you know, part of me wanted to go on like Ancestry.com and try and kind of figure it out. But, yeah, you know, because there there was like one of my father's uncles that kind of left and did their own thing, which was like a really weird thing. So Mm -hmm. there's another Sarovsky line in the U.S. somewhere, but. So most likely it's it, this it's man them. was connected yeah. to them. Okay. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, well, you're, you're, you're definitely look, lucky with your surname and it, it works perfectly for a brand. And I'm sure as you know, it's just a matter of time before that's a world, a worldwide brand, you know, yeah. um, going, going back to the States, did you live at all or you just spent time in LA? I did actually, when I was starting the company, mm-hmm. a lot of the work was, based in LA, a lot of the car work, even though it was out of Detroit was um, being produced in LA. A lot of the shoots were there. So I really would have had to have been there for the shoots anyway. And it was a series of them. So I rented some space out there from my friend, Mark, who owns a company called Arsenal. And they did the finishing on the spots and all the flame work and very talented group of visual effects artists. And um, I rented some space from them. And that's really where I started the company, even though the paperwork says long, says, uh, Illinois, I was definitely renting space in LA to start. And then when I finished up that series of work, I came back to Chicago and my condo was, I was renting it out and it turned back over to me. And, um, I just started working out of my condo. Okay. <laughs> and my my guys would come over. My kitchen table had like four workstations on it. It was a big round kitchen table and we'd all sit in the round and work. It was kind of awesome. No overhead. It was incredible. <laughs> okay. and, uh, and then, you know, we kept getting a little bit more work and a little bit more work. And, and then I was like, oh, well, maybe I can get a little space. And it really grew very organically. It wasn't forced. It wasn't like we had some big investor that was like, Aaron, I believe in you. I'm going to give you a couple hundred thousand dollars to grow a company. It was like, okay, we'll see how this goes. And it was pretty low stakes. My friend Tr- Tracy was looking for work for me and I didn't need a lot to survive on. So it was just a, a one job at a time kind of thing. And it was no big deal. So. What a nice very, way to grow. Yeah. What a yeah. natural and a nice way to grow, isn't it? Yeah. I look back and I think, wow, that's like really courageous of me because I didn't really realize how much I had on the line, you know? Um, now, of course, with a family and all these employees, I'm like, oh my God, like if somebody <laughs> told me that this would be my responsibility now, then I think I would be like, what, why would you do that? Why would you choose that as life? But because it grew so slowly, even though it grew quickly, because it grew slowly and I was able to like learn the expertise of running a business kind of on the fly through mm-hmm. um, successes and failures, um, I was able to really you know, build something that I really like with people I really like, you know, I always hiring is a really big deal too. And I think, you know, having this conversation is obviously connecting a bit of the dots for me, but like, I don't hire somebody I don't like, right? Like 
that's the key. Like, I don't care how talented somebody is. I'd rather teach somebody, somebody that has potential and shows has good energy and wants to be around and wants to do the work and will put in the time and effort into learning the craft um, and to be a teacher to them versus just bringing in somebody that's like a super pro, but they're going to make everybody's lives miserable. Like that is not the kind of life I want to live. And that's probably why my employees like it here is because that is a consideration. We don't just bring in, it's not about bringing in executioners. It's about bringing in people we want to be around or I want to be around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally get that. I have a, a couple of the people who do freelance work with us as well with my agency side of things. It's yeah. the exact same. I, I, I try to spot potential and spot that the energy is correct and, and kind of go from there really, you know? Yep. Exactly. So listen, uh, I, I actually realize the collaboration from what you've been saying is very central for you, Erin. Do you think Chicago? is a place that brings that out more so for you? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I definitely learned at Digital Kitchen for sure that it's one thing to like come up with a concept and to, it could be very singular experience, but to move things into production, it has to, you need all the different craftspeople to come together to make projects um, Mm -hmm. really amazing. Um, and there's really no one person that can do it all. And if they say, if they say they can, then they're not a person you want to work with. Cause that means they've not learned how to give feedback and opinions to other people <laughs> in a way that is healthy. <laughs> it's just a person that wants to do it all themselves because they can't communicate to somebody what they're looking for. So, sure. <laughs> so that's like a red flag right there for anybody who's listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> That would be the thing to listen to of all the things I say. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I th- I just think Chicago is um, a community of, it's hard because, you know, there are some companies in Chicago that I would say don't have that kind of company culture um, mm-hmm. and, and some that do, some post houses, some design companies. I, so I guess, I guess, in any place you can probably create the the style of company that you want. If I were stuck in New York and I had to build a company in New York, I do believe I could do that. I could build the team um, that I felt confident in and believe from a company culture perspective would do that. I do think it yeah. would be harder. I think it would be harder because that's not like the base of where people operate from. And I do think like the base of where people operate from in Chicago is more friendly and more collaborative mm-hmm. than anywhere else I've ever worked in LA okay. or New York. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Now your creative output, it blends fantasy with reality, Erin, and you call this magic realism. Can you explain this in a bit more detail and by any chance, does it have any roots back in your childhood? Well, I think it comes from what we talked about with at RIT kind of experimenting with different mediums all the way back mm-hmm. to summer camp, exposing, you know, um, you know, light sensitive paper with leaves and things like that. And then going into the dark room and developing it. Um, I, there is this 
thing that I like to call magic realism. I don't know if it's a real thing or not, but it, where it looks real, aspects of it are real, but it's put together in an entirely kind of fake environment. So mm-hmm. you'd be as if you were walking down the, the street and a fish swam by. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> like, it's like, but with technology, I could make that happen, right? Like I can, yeah. Yeah. you know, do that. And so I think it's, it's a little bit of like that, you know, a modern dolly kind of thing where things kind of yeah. look real, but they're not. And you question how it's created because it's, it's, it's so well blended together. You're like, what was shot? What wasn't shot? What was created on the computer? What, you know, what's done by hand. And, and that's, that's, I think a really special place to be. And that was actually really big when I started um, at digital kitchen in the early, you know, 2000s. And it, it a little bit went out of favor in the U.S. for more dry comedy with less graphics, with all of that stuff. And I think it's coming back now because people just need to be one. What's funny now is super subjective with all the stuff going on in the world. It's really hard mm-hmm. to write scripts where humor is appreciated because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. humor uh, exists in truth and exploring the truth right now is really a challenging thing um, because it's funny, but also like a brand might not want to go there. Um, I know so, it's, it's very tricky, <laughs> very tricky right now. And so, yeah. and also like, especially in the U S there's this um, obviously extremist nationalistic sentiment going on. So unless you're Coca-Cola or GE, you're not going out there saying we're one world, man, we're happy. Everybody's together. These big anthemic spots are like kind of going away a little bit. And so what advertisers really need to do is they need to lean into design and magic realism, I think to, to move forward and to say like, Hey, live in the moment, find happiness where you are, it could be mm-hmm. as simple as driving your car down the street, feeling the breeze and having these magic lines swirl around the car to a yeah. happy, upbeat song. I think that's yeah. where we're at in the world where it's just like, let's just do little things to make us happy. And I think that's where magic realism exists. It can be storytelling, but it's also about creating a mood and a sensation and an atmosphere um, that can affect Definitely. you emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. And, and your apple piece, Erin, it represents this beautifully. Can you can you talk to us a, a little bit about it and your your process, please? Yeah. So Apple was like a dream job. This this piece that we're talking about, Apple came to me, and they were like, "We are coming out with a new iMac Pro, and it's a a computer for." like real professional artists. It's not like the old iMac where it's the receptionist and that's it. This is like a real professional tool. And of course it had a beautiful monitor and it was, the guts were just really there, really powerful. And to articulate it, they wanted to um, commission, um, I think it was like six artists to create a piece on the iMac. And then they would, promote the iMac with that piece because it was created by a professional artist on the piece. And so they asked for a little pitch about what I would do if given the opportunity to create anything on the piece to show what a powerful tool it is. And 
my proposal, ultimately, it's so interesting because I was like, oh my God, I've pitched so many great ideas. Let me go back and, and look for something that I pitched that I never got to execute that I want to execute, right? Like whether it's mm-hmm, stylistic mm-hmm. or something. And I was going through literally dozens of journals at home, through sketches, through boards, through all the things. And and I realized like, oh, this is an interesting idea. Like the idea of your book opening up and coming to life. All these ideas that were trapped in there on the shelf just can just explode out of it. And I was like, okay, that's, that's the idea. This old ratty book coming to life. And so I, we, we built a, a frame around that, um, what that could look like. And I wrote a little treatment for it and they were like, yes, because you know, the Apple user is very tactile, you know, mm-hmm. we're very particular about our tools Our it's, it really matters to us what kind of pen we write with, what kind of journal we write in, like all of those little things like really matter to us. And so this, it really connected to them. Like, yes, you can go from the outside world into the computer. And so what was cool about it is I did live action. We shot the book. So I created the book. I did all the illustrations in it and spent like two weeks creating this book nonstop. Um, And then we filmed it with a, a phantom camera. So we got some really beautiful high speed stuff. And then I edited the piece and kind of put it all together with just a couple of team members here at the studio. And a lot of the illustrations were like kind of weightless. So like a lot of sea life and space stuff. And when the book opened, like an octopus like rose out of it to life from illustrated to photo reel. But it was also like in a, in a vast atmosphere like a space-like environment with like galaxies behind it and stuff like that so it had like this really beautiful weightless ethereal quality to it um that was really special yeah we're we're gonna link we're gonna link some examples of your work also yeah where where we're posting the podcast and i also do the transcription with visuals and so on so people will be able to see yeah people are able to see aaron you know some examples are there any other ones i mean i'm sure it's a, probably a struggle for you, but is there, let's say, one other piece that you would like to talk about? Yeah, I think in the magic realism territory, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange, the work we did on Doctor Strange was extraordinary. It's all these mandalas that are gemstones and old metal kind of evolving from one mandala into another from relatively flat to three-dimensional to like multi-dimensional to kaleidoscopic that really is a beautiful example of magic realism as well okay okay so one question that comes to mind uh you know between the processes and the places and as I said at the very beginning, we were, we're not going to go into the, you know, down that sort of pandemic route, yeah. <laughs> like some of the other interviews that many people are doing at the moment. Um, but given the situation and given the collaboration and your creative processes, are you finding that you're really missing your studio? Are you dying to get back in there again or, or not? I miss the studio more than anything. Okay. I, I do think that there's, there's a, to me, this pandemic is a little bit of a gift because it's the opportunity to realize like 
that I don't need the studio to survive, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like I can, I can do it. We can do it. We can figure it out. We're really, we're makers. We're, we're going to figure it out no matter what. Like, so that's incredible. It's also an opportunity to, to spend more time with my daughter who's very young um, and at a pivotal point in her evolution. Cause she's only three and I, Oh, Okay. Yeah, so she's like a wee nugget. <laughs> um, but so I th- I think there are gifts that I want to like acknowledge and embrace, but I miss laughter. Everything sure. is so serious. Like our calls, like everything's like let's let's get the facts out, let's give the information you know, we need, but I miss we would sit and do the New York Times crossword puzzle every day almost whatever we could anyway. And I miss uh-huh. us leaning over the table together and figuring it out. Right. Yeah. Like just talking yeah, about course. the words and laughing and, you know, the smarty pants is in the, in the room, just walking by knowing the answers, all the answers all the time. It's just fun. I miss at the end yeah. of the day, like people sitting around and having a cocktail and laughing and, when I leave, people stay not because they're working, but because they want to, because they genuinely enjoy each other's company and want to hang out with each other, and or they all go out as a group together somewhere. Um, I really I miss the social aspect of it. I'm so proud we can like do the work aspect, and it's if anything we're even more productive. Not shocking, sure. <laughs> considering what I just said. Um, <laughs> That we're focused on crossword puzzles and having drinks, but, um, <laughs> but, but I miss that. I think we all really, really miss that so bad, you know, mm. that community. Cause that's really what I've grown, um, is this kind of company culture and community here. Yeah. Yeah. So look, it's one of those things. It's great that you're able to see such positives, you know, such as being around your daughter and all that type of thing. And it's great that you're able to see that. But like you're, like everybody else, I think we're all waiting for those days that nobody knows right now when they're going to come, where we can go back to some some of the things that we love doing, you know? Right. I agree. I just, yeah. yeah. It feels so gonna, far away still, but. It does. I don't, yeah. I know, I know. I know it does, Aaron. It, do, it really does. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but yes, I, I did say at the beginning, we're not going to go down. It's such yeah. a slippery, it's a slippery slope because I think the problem is people are, you know, we'll probably broadcast this, uh, uh, the second half of March. Okay. Right. So hopefully maybe things would have improved by then. But the point is people are bombarded in the media with, with the pandemic. And I'm, I'm trying yeah. to steer, steer away a little away. bit from that. Yeah. yeah. So listen, talking about the, the brighter days in the future, if I was to come and visit you, in Chicago, where would you say to me it would be a great place to stay to begin with? Oh, to stay. Interesting. Like the Soho house has a really nice setup, you mm-hmm. know? So if you stay there, that would probably be good. It's also in the West Loop. It's not far from the office. Um, my neighborhood has a, a nice, uh, charming hotel that just opened. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but I'll send you the link. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a, a historic building, you know, and my friend actually, it's not in Chicago, but my friend owns this camp called Camp, camp Wanda Wega just up above the Wisconsin border. So it's actually in Wisconsin okay. and that's a really fun place. So if you are by Chicago and you're really traveling from a far place, definitely hit up Camp Wanda Wega. <laughs> so describe that to me, Aaron. What, what, what is that like? 
our camp is amazing. It's, it's rustic. Um, but also I want to say have you heavily curated, um, <laughs> I'll send you a link to it so that people can see it, but you could book it mm-hmm. on Airbnb. Um, okay. It's, it's, it's on a lake. The lake is called camp on the lake, Lake Wanda Wega, And I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, but it's, uh, they have all these little kind of guest houses and different kind of rooms that you can rent, whether it's a room that has other people also like a, a long cabin, or you could even rent one of the bigger houses on the property, but they have, you know, just campfires and ice skating on the lake. It's, it's like when you close your eyes and imagine some nostalgic American, camp dream from you know the 70s or 80s or Mm -hmm. 60s it is that it is exactly that it is it will it will be pinterest memories forever and (laughs) (laughs) no that's definitely going to be on my list then Erin. yeah and you should you should come because i'll make sure you um have a space there and um also can visit the studio okay that sounds fantastic so Definitely. Now, what about sightseeing, like, you know, the obvious mainstream and some quirky sites if possible? So you got to go see the Bean downtown. It's actually called Cloudgate. It's a really good opportunity to take a a weird, fun photo of yourself. Um, A couple of museums are worth it, like the Museum of Natural History. I like ours better than New York's. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really cool. The dioramas and things they have there are amazing. so that's like some of the the more main street stuff. I think if you could be here for a Cubs game, that's pretty uh-huh. iconic, Wrigley Field. Um, but like the less mainstream stuff is like also my neighborhood is bordered by um, one called uh, Wicker Park. And they have some awesome just thrift shops that you could walk through, like old vintage style. It's very much uh, like that movie High Fidelity. That's exactly mm-hmm. the and it's it's a little bit been co-opted by you know the the soccer moms pushing strollers but it still has some of that like authentic you know original kind of hipster vibe too so that's kind of cool okay cool and what about going out to eat is there some special place that will be like at the top of your list you know to bring yeah, tell me. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, the food scene in Chicago is is amazing. So there are a ton of places. And everybody that hears what the place I'm going to recommend is going to laugh at me. But I love this place called Duck, Duck, Goat. It's okay. um, this chef, Stephanie Izzard. She uh, has a kind of a Chinese restaurant. And I love it because it's family style, again, post-pandemic, <laughs> where you have the lazy Susan and everybody eats out of, you know, takes it's all family style. So everybody shares and you just order a bunch of stuff and it's really mm-hmm. uh, like a very eclectically designed, beautiful place that has to be, has to be seen. She also has, you know, her regular um, restaurant called, called the girl and the goat, but I I'm like, so on board with duck, duck, goat. It's way cooler. Okay. That sounds yeah. great. That sounds great. Um, okay. So listen, that's, that's the trip to Chicago <laughs> organized as soon as it's possible. Um, what are you currently working on, Erin? Oh, my God. So many amazing things. One thing mm-hmm. that's about to come out that we're done with is um, a movie called Cherry that the Russo brothers uh-huh. directed. Okay. Um, 
I just I want to say right now I think it's going to win Best Picture Oscar, and if it doesn't, really? and if it doesn't, it should have, and they were robbed. Um, but <laughs> it's literally the most extraordinary movie I've ever seen in my life, and to have been a part of helping make it is is um like a career highlight. They wow, there's exceptional typography throughout the movie, and they really think about design and. Um, you know, I, I just love them and I love it. And I think it's not only like a well-crafted movie, um, that people are going to be studying like as part of their film education, I think it's going to say something in the world and do something in the world. And I'll just like leave it at that. It's going to be out on Apple TV plus, um, was it like March, early March? So, um, and if, I don't know, there's going to be a limited release in theaters. If you can see it in a theater, I would suggest just because the visuals are so stunning. Um, and I think that will be an amazing experience just physically to be in. But so I'm really proud of that. But we're also um, working on a television show main title called The Mosquito Coast. That is really cool. That's um, with Justin Theroux and also a really Neil Cross. um created it and I believe wrote all of it um, or some of it. It's different how like the writing credits go, but he is the mastermind behind it. And he was like a real treasure to work with real fun, amazing guy. What's been great about the pandemic is that instead of just having calls with people, you have zoom calls. So all these sure. people you would have never really, really met. You've seen their faces and their homes and their bedrooms and all this like weird stuff. It's like truly incredible experience. Um, so I, I, I will say I appreciate that about it. Like people are so desperate to see people that we're doing all these weird Zoom calls. Um, and that's become a big part of our lives. Um, I know. As a, as a way of connecting. And I then, know. Um, yeah. And, you know, we just released a big campaign for Bank of America with a lot of beautiful okay. motion graphics that I'm really proud of. Um, and it's definitely not magic realism. It's rooted in motion design. But I think the the look it the precision of the animation and you know the the agency had created these amazing brand standards like much more than you could ever imagine so that there was like a real craftsmanship that went into it on their side so for us it was about making sure that all of those standards were elevated and not just kind of adhered to mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right. so yeah so that was a really really cool job and they were really amazing thoughtful people to work with. Um, so that's going to start releasing all over the TV and interwebs and platforms and places if it hasn't already. Um, what else? I feel like we've just been so, so, so busy. Um, which is great. I mean, yeah. I saw, I saw obviously in your chat with the guys, you know, that there was a worrying time. I mean, I think everybody in business, oh, not everybody, God. that's an exaggeration, but many people in business went through that initial shock you know, last year. Uh, but, y- you know, in your case, you, you've totally, totally gone to being really busy. Yeah. So like initially it was, it was just like everything we had in the pipeline went away. Like every sure. company just stopped and we were, I, I really was just like, okay, is this the end? <laughs> like, is it over? Like, cause of course I can't have people on board if there's no work like at all. Yeah. And, you know, we were finishing a couple of big, campaigns and you know 
there was like a month where we were just like, okay, well, we at least have to finish up this work and transition everybody to work from home. And hopefully by the time we have nothing going on, something will have come up. Um, and something did, you know, and then another something did. And then everybody realized like, oh, we have to still be communicating on behalf of our clients and we cannot be shooting. And we need people we trust that we've worked with in the past. So all of my clients like kept reaching out to me like, Hey, what can you do with this, this, and this? And we would be really thoughtful about it and be really realistic about it. And it, again, like the community and partnership is always what I've been about and been into growing. So Mm -hmm. when people, I would say like, no, 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 we can't do that. Like, don't promise that, (laughs) like promise this. They'd be like, okay, great. Like they just knew that there's like a deep honesty to how I work. Um, and you know, ultimately want them to succeed as well. It's not just about making us look good. It's about making everybody look good. And it's not just about getting the money in the door and keeping the business alive. It's, it's making sure like we can execute what we're talking about and all of that. But yeah. So, I mean, yeah, slowly it was just like, okay, we got this one thing that'll keep us going then for a month. And then another thing came up and that was like, okay, that's another month. Mm-hmm. And then, all of a sudden, all of these people were like, okay, you know, so-and-so had to pivot. So we have to do this boost campaign completely differently. So can you do this boost campaign? And that became enormous. And so, and then it kind of grew exponentially from there. So we wound up having like, you know, a really, really decent year. And additionally, like employing people, employing a lot of people, like, from a freelance perspective. And Mm -hmm. we've also been able to change the business a little bit so that if somebody isn't feeling well, they're not just going to come to work. They can just work from home that day. Like, you know, or if we have a new mom and something's going on, she can work from home that day. Like there's so much more flexibility to how businesses are operating now that I think it's going to change our thinking forever about I think so and I really hope so for for so many people you know I mean like yourself I'm the boss of my own of my own business but you know for those people who aren't they're they're subjected to the the way of thinking of other people so I really hope it does you know yep yep exactly so listen one last question Erin um (laughs) apart from you know getting back into the studio and having that fun with you know with your crew are there any particular places or place that you really long to go back to, to, to spend time in again? Oh, you know, I miss, or for, uh, or for the first time even. Huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, for the first time I've been dying to go to Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I've been dying to go there. I've been also really itching to go to Scotland. I have a good friend that lives in Edinburgh and my husband's family is from there. Um, so that would be a fun trip to do. But I think it's the simple things. Like, while I don't, like, necessarily want to live in New York or L.A., I have so many friends there now, like clients and friends that I've just been longing to see. Typically, after a big job, I'd make a trip out and we'd go for dinner mm-hmm. um, and celebrate the success with them. And I'm missing all of that. So I, I think, like, my first trip would, would be at you know, probably see my good friend, Judy, (laughs) up in in Connecticut, where me and my husband were married right by her house Mm -hmm. and just spend a little time up there with her. Um, 
is very similar to the Poconos, except a little bit more hoity-toity, um, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more curated. Um, but you're out in the mountains in the fresh air, all of that. I do miss that because being in Chicago, it is still a city. And so we haven't really had the opportunity to be out in the middle of nowhere. I miss, you know, LA. I miss going out there and having fantastic dinners with my friends like Tom and Kevin from Lionsgate and just catching up with everybody. Like I, I'm one of those people that definitely craves seeing people in person and giving them the attention that they deserve. You know, what I've been trying to do is like, when I think of somebody, send them a text, send them a photo, send them something that lets them know I'm thinking of them because that's not something I typically do. Right. Like I'm normally like I'll, I'll schedule time to be with that person when it's appropriate, when I'm there, when I'm around, but that like, I'm not like just like a, a, quick communicator like that. So I've been, I'm hoping the pandemic changes me forever in that way where it's like, Oh, this reminded me of you and then just send it out. But, um, yeah, I do miss that. So I think you know, I, w- I want to go to San Francisco. A friend of mine just opening up a restaurant there and I can't wait to have dinner out there and take a new friend, Albert to dinner, um, there. So that's going to be fun. Just like, again, it's, it, is it really the place or is it the people that makes there the you go? Yeah. <laughs> It is. It's it's a bit of a chicken uh, a chicken and an egg situation, I think. For me, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen. It's been an absolute pleasure, Erin. Thank you so yeah. much for taking the time, and also for being the launch guest for the series number two, yeah, which I is love into that. the Thank west. You. Yeah. So <laughs> into the west we go. Into the yes. west we go with Erin. <laughs> 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 so well, I look listen. forward to meeting you in person one day. I'm sure it will happen. Same. Definitely. Yeah. Same. I'm exactly like yourself in that sense of, you know, it's all about people and contact and, and all of that sort of stuff. And it's just not not easy, but we have better days ahead at some stage, obviously, Aaron. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Creative Places and Faces. We look forward to bringing you more creative insights into places around the world very soon.